this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Oheb Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C., and welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week, we are reading Parshat Noach. Now, Parshat Noach is a pretty amazing Parsha, and what we're going to do today is think not about the story, but about Noach himself. Now, Noach is the only person in Bereshit who gets a whole Parsha named about after him. And it's a story that people are very familiar with, the imagery of the ark and the imagery of the animals, the rainbow. These are images, I think, that are almost universal um, and very recognizable. And yet it's pretty amazing because a very recognizable Parsha centers around a man, Noach, who we know remarkably little about. Now, this is partially because Noach doesn't actually speak at all throughout this ordeal. We have many interactions with lots of the other characters in Breshit, but Noach himself doesn't ever talk until at least until after the flood in a narrative that really focuses more on his own experience and, and the, his family and, and what happens after the flood. But we don't really know anything about his personality before the flood or throughout the flood. There are actually only two things that we really know about Noah. Now, the first, and what we're going to do today is look at those two things. The first thing that we know about Noah, it's actually the second thing um, in chronological order in the Torah, is something that I think that that certainly any child in, in day school or, you know, I don't know, maybe even Sunday school learns about Noah, which is the opening verse in our Parsha. Ela told Noah, Noah ish tzadik tamim haya bedorotav. Noah was a righteous man. The GPS translates it as then he was blameless in his age, but I think it's probably better that he was tamim, he was pure, um, that he was a righteous, pure man. That is a word that is attributed to people who are not really morally complex um, in a good way, meaning they just do the right thing, um, like Yaakov being an Ishtam Yeshevo Halim. So Noah is a righteous, pure person. Now, we may be familiar with the disagreement about whether that means that he was actually a pure tzaddik, um, full stop, objectively, he was a really good person, or whether his um, being a tzaddik was something that was subjective to his generation. In other words, he lived amongst a generation of really, really, really bad people, but he was the best guy within that group of bad people. So different people understand um, in both of those ways, but I, I don't know how relevant that even is for our conversation today, because ultimately what we know is that he is someone who stands out. He is someone who is better than everybody else and really literal, a once in a generation type of person. Now, but as I said, that's the second thing we know about him. Now, it's a good thing to know about him. And it seems like that would definitely qualify him to save humanity and all the animals of the world and, and start afresh after the flood. But actually, the first thing we know about Noah is introduced to us at the end of last week's Parsha, of Parsha Breshi. And when, um, towards the end of the Parsha, when it's going through a lot of the genealogy, um, in chapter 5, verse 29, well, in verse 28, we're told that when Lamech had li lived 182 years, he had a son. And then in 529, he names his son And he named him Noach, saying, This one will provide us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands, out of the very soil which the Lord placed under a curse. 
So Lamech looks at this baby and he knows. He intuits that something is different about this child. And so he names him accordingly, right? It's like Lamech looks, you know, we're, we're talking about humanity and not a good time. Lamech as a child looks at him and says, huh, this one is going to be different. But what exactly is Lamech picking up on? Because this pasuk itself is kind of strange. This one will provide us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands out of the very soil which the Lord placed under a curse. That's not really what we would expect to be said about Noah, given what we know about his main you know, legacy for, for the world, which is to save humanity, to be the only one to survive. So I wanted to look more closely at the words that Lamech actually says. So he begins with Ze Yenachamenu. Now there's disagreement about what the root of Yenachamenu is. Now it seems like it would be Nechama, comfort, um, but then as Rashi and others point out, then his name should be Menachim, which is what leads Rashi to kind of understand the name differently. Yaniach Mimenu will give us rest from, which is a way of having Noach's mean name um, be associated with the idea, the Noach of rest, not menachim, of comfort, right? So he'll alleviate, which is why I actually really do like the JPS translation that says it is relief, right? Because it gives you this image of struggle and that Noach is going to come along and alleviate that struggle. But what is that struggle? The harder part in some ways of the pasuk is what comes next. From our work and from the toil of our hands. So the difficulty in translating this comes down to the word itzvon. Now it comes from the word etzev, which means sadness, right? Atzuv in modern Hebrew. Um, it's definitely used in the Torah as a verb um, and when it means people were sad. But here, why isn't it translated as sadness? Why is it translated as painful toil? And the answer to that question is because here it is a noun. Now the word itzavon is used only as a noun three times in the Torah. Well, the first time is in Chava's curse, that she will um, bed, that she will lay, um, have pain in childbirth, right? God says, Harbe, Arbe itzvonech, that I will make most severe your pains in childbirth, right? Your itzvon here is a noun, and it seems, and, and we call childbirth labor for a reason, right? And you are going to, it's going to be difficult and painful for you to have children. And the next time that God uses it, it is, in, is right afterwards in Adam's curse. When God says, look, it, because you ate from this tree, um, the arura ha'adama ba'avurecha. The land is cursed because of you. Now the JPS here translates it as, by toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Well, really, it's not just by toil. It should be by painful toil. In other words, through extraordinarily difficult, hard labor, you are going to eat from the ground. And now, that, so that's the first usage and the second usage. And now we come back to our pasuk today with Noach, the third usage and the final usage of this word as a noun in the Torah. Right. No, Lamech looks at Noach and says, you are going to be the one who will give us rest, who will give us relief from the curse of the land 
that causes us to work in pain. Now that I think because of the curse that God, that, you know, that God has cursed the land, going back to the curse of Adam. So now the question, once we understand that this is something we know about Noah, and now we understand that the right way to translate it is that he's going to give rest relief from the painful work of the land as a result of God's curse, we have to ask, what? Right? Since when is Noah going to provide relief from the painful toil of working the cursed ground, right? The land is still cursed as far as we're concerned today. It's really hard to grow food. We take that for granted because so many of us are not re-involved in that process. But of course, we know at the same time that it's very difficult um, and requires enormous effort. So Noah didn't provide us relief from that. And also, again, what does that have to do with being an ish tzaddik in your generation, right? With being a good person. And so that's really, I think, where we have to stop and consider Noah's personality and who he is more carefully. And um, Noah here is someone who, if he's going to not just be a good person, but provide relief from humanity, right, relief from this pain, well, what is it exactly that he did? Now, you, if you look at the Rashi here on this Pasuk, when Lamech um, names Noah, what you see that Rashi cites is that, what does he mean? That Noah invented agricultural tools to help with the land, right? That Noah, how did Noah alleviate, the, give relief from the painful work of the of the um, of the curse. Well, Noah looked around and said, "Hey, let's make agricultural tools. Let's figure out a way to work the land, not just rely on whatever the land is going to give us, but find ways to work the land and in a more in a stronger way, a more efficient way to get more food." Now, there isn't actually any evidence for this in the text itself, based on Noah's life. Other than that, when he gets off the ark, he goes to plant a vineyard after the flood, right? Which indicates that he knew what he was doing. He wasn't just relying on the land to produce whatever it was going to produce and surrendering himself to that. No, he knew how to plant things. He knew how to grow this. All right. But still, we don't we haven't really answered our question of what does that have to do with saving humanity? And to, to answer that, I think we have to look back to when God decides to destroy life on earth, shortly after um, in the Torah where Noah is born. And God looks around and sees, Vayar Hashem ki ra'at ha'adam ba'aretz, kol yetzer machshavot libo rak ra kol hayom. The Lord saw how great was man's wickedness on earth and how every plan devised by his mind was nothing but evil all the time. So God looks around and sees what? Twice in this one verse, we have the word ra, right? God sees wickedness, badness, evil, the opposite of goodness. Humanity, once in, in the Gan Eden, we gain the ability to know between good and evil, between tovera. And here the people chose only evil. And what Noah does, what the verse about Noah does, is connect Noah back to that curse. Right, Noah is saving the world, humanity, from the Ra that exists. And Noah is also connected now back to Adam's original curse. And so what can we infer from these strange textual connections? And what I want to suggest is that we can infer that people, what happened once Adam was cursed, is that they accepted that curse upon themselves. They say, yes, the land is cursed. All right. And so they allow themselves to descend into the worst parts of it, right? It will be very difficult and painful and awful to get food. 
And so it's almost like they just surrender themselves to that. They embrace it. They say, okay, fine. There's badness everywhere. Our existence is just awful. There's no tove. There's no good. It is all ra. And then in the next pasuk, Now God created that God had made man on earth and God's heart was saddened. Now there are a lot of linguistic similarities between this pasuk and the pasuk that introduces Noah's name, which is very, very interesting. There's the word etzev and a reference um, you know, to the land. And Binachem sounds kind of like Yinachamenu, the name of Noah. So God looks at the evil that exists in the world, that humanity has just embraced the curse rather than try to innovate. And God says, you know what? This has got to go. This is the lack of the hope. This is the lack of the idea of the future. And so God wipes humanity out. But of course, Noah survives. And so what makes Noah fit for the task? Not just that he's a tzaddik tami bedarotav, not just that he's a good person. It's the fact that he looked around at a world that had been a people that had been cursed and he saw the room for possibility. And I think that this really, you know, when you first see this medrash about Noah invented agriculture, you're just kind of like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Right? It seems so random. Like we said, there isn't much textual evidence for it. It just seems like the type of thing you see in a midrash, you say, oh, that's cool, but you move on. But if you actually really consider the midrash, I think it's a remarkable statement. Because it's not just saying Noah invented agriculture. What it's really saying is that, or agricultural tools, that it was really saying is that Noah looked around, saw a world that was cursed, a people that was cursed, and steeped themselves in the pain of that curse. But instead of just joining them, he saw the room for possibility. He saw ways that you could actually not just elite, not just uh, cancel the curse, right? He's never going to cancel the curse. He's going to provide Noah. He's going to provide relief from that curse. He works within that system and finds a way to try to climb out of that pain, to try to work with it rather than just either surrender themselves to it or naively and incorrectly hope for a world that's going to be completely different from that. He actually takes the facts on the ground, literally, and tries to work within it. And so here we see that the remarkable story of Noah as a person is not just a story of one good guy in a sea of bad guys. It's a sign of a people who have just accepted and helplessly um, just accepted badness and descended into it and embraced that badness, right? Because the Betimalehar is Hamas, right? Everything was just bad. But Noah looks instead sees the room for potential, just like his own father looked at him as a baby and saw a room for potential and said, this one, this one is going to be different. This one is going to help provide us some of the relief that we need from the curse of the grounds. And I think that just to, to close, that there's another beautiful point that really emphasizes this part of Noah. When God gives Noah the commandment to build the ark, God gives the measurements and says, and then you have to build a tzohar. A tzohar is the only time this word appears in the Torah. And you have to, so we know you have to build a tzohar and you have to build it towards the sky. And and one of the explanations is the word tzohar comes from tzohorayim, right? Which means like sort of the, the midday, when the light is it's that I think that really what, what Noah here is being commanded is to build a skylight light, right? It's not a window on the side of the ark so that you can look out and you can see the what's happening around you. No, it's a, it's a window in the sky. 
It's a reminder that the sun is still, is still shining. It's a reminder of the possibility of the future. It's a reminder not just to look at what's around you, but also to look at what can be. And that even as the world around him descends into further chaos and mass death and destruction, there's still always light. There's still always possibility. And there's still the belief that things are going to get better. And I think that this is an especially important message for us this week, um, as we live in a world that can feel very chaotic, as the virus is now climbing, the rates are climbing back up everywhere. And we aren't sure if we will be plunged again back into more shutdowns. As we have a big election looming in front of us, that we know the results of which, whatever the results are, it will create a lot of pain and struggle and perhaps chaos as well. And our role right now, as we try to comfort ourselves during this enormously difficult time, is not to just descend into that chaos. It's not to embrace that chaos. It's not to surrender ourselves to that chaos. It's to remember to always be looking upwards at that light that is shining in and remember the possibilities for a better future. Shabbat Shalom.